Good morning, Lakeview Church. Before we get into the message, I want to just say a couple of things. Uh, first of all, Matt McAdams, you thought you were all done, but I'm going to talk about you for a minute or two here. So, so Matt McAdams was one of the first people that I saw when I became your pastor because none of you were here. If you remember that, like you guys weren't around during COVID the first four weeks. I just looked at a camera prayed that there was a congregation somewhere. I knew ballots had been mailed in from someone. I just didn't know who you were yet. And so, uh, but I was in my office and setting things up and just getting adapted. And I look out my window and there is a guy, a strapping young man, trimming all the bushes. And I thought, who is this guy? I don't, I don't know this guy. And how much are we paying him to trim these bushes? And uh, he literally spent an entire day from early in the morning until into the evening trimming bushes. And I got in my car to leave and he was still working and I pulled up next to him and I was like, who are you? And that's the first time I met Matt McAdams. There are times when you see Matt because he's up here on the stage and he's playing bass guitar, which he does so faithfully for us. And then there are lots of times when you don't see Matt, but he is working diligently and faithfully just for our church as a servant. He comes around and he does a lot of landscaping and he plants trees around this campus and helps this place look nice. He's not the only one who works on our grounds, but he certainly puts in many, many hours for us. And uh, while we know that this residency is something we've been praying for for Matt, and we're so excited to see him take this next step in his journey of preparation, we are so grateful for the way he invests in our church, and we are sad to see him go, right? We're happy for him, but sad for us, at least for a season, because he's coming back. As I understand it, he is already plotting his first vacation time away to be back here for trunk or treat because he's got something planned. I don't know what that means. I don't know any details. I just have it from a good inside source that that is the case. So even while he is away, he is thinking about how he can serve here. And I know that we have already prayed for him, and, uh, and, and that certainly is the most important thing we could do this morning. But could you just help me by saying thanks to Matthew for all the work that he's done around here? Now, there are two other, actually four people I want to talk about, two couples that this week celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary, apparently June 10th was a popular day to get married 50 years ago because I just was, my Facebook feed was just full of people that I know all across the Wesleyan Church who got married on June the 10th 50 years ago, uh, like John and Patty Bray, I think were one of those couples that got married. And then, and then right here in our church, Jerry and Carolyn Hoover, and where are they at? Oh, there they are. They were trying to hide. I thought maybe they were out celebrating their anniversary. I didn't know. So, so Jerry and Carolyn, uh, yesterday we had a wonderful time celebrating with them. And just want to say what I said to you privately yesterday. Thank you for your faithful example to those of us who are married couples coming behind you. Uh, just in our day and age where covenants aren't always honored and kept to watch a couple like you 
Uh, keep your covenant to one another. We are grateful for you and grateful for the example that you've set. And we appreciate both of you for all that you represent and all that you do for Lakeview Church. So thank you both. And then I'm going to pick on Ron and Sharon Campbell because they're not here. They did tell me that they were going to be here this morning and then they were going to sneak out. I don't know what they're doing. You'll have to talk to them to find out where they're at right now. But they, they said they weren't going to be here and that I shouldn't say anything about them. But I have the microphone. So uh, Ron and Sharon Campbell also celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary on June the 10th. And uh, we are just so excited again, whenever we see couples, which we have several of them in our church right now, that have reached that 50-year mark and beyond, it's just important for us to honor those people who have set an example in the faith for us. And the next time you see Ron and Sharon, congratulate them and thank them for the example that they've set. We are not done celebrating 50th wedding anniversaries. We'll have some more yet this year because that's just part of our congregation and we're so grateful for every one of those couples. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Can we just pray one more time before we get into the message this morning? Would that be all right? I hope so, because I'm gonna lead us in prayer. God, thank you for your grace and your mercy and your presence in our lives. Thank you, God, that you are here in this room right now with us. And thank you, God, for your scripture and for the way that it can guide and direct us as we seek to live faithfully for you in this world, which is in so many ways broken and hurting and lost and in need of a savior. I pray, God, in these next few moments that you would open our hearts and our souls, make us and the core of who we are today like freshly tilled soil, ready to receive the seed of your word. Let it be planted deep within us. Let it put down roots and sprout and grow and let it produce fruit for the kingdom of God. 30 times, 60 times, even a hundredfold, and let every bit of fruit that is produced, let it all bring glory and honor to your name. We give you these moments now that we spend in your word, and we invite you to speak to us, for we, your servants, are listening. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, we are in... Uh, the last part of a two-part series, which we started last week. And this series really is focused on one thing and one thing alone. It is focused on helping us see what it looks like for us to be a church that is engaged in the global mission of God. We believe that God, as one of the students said in the camp video, isn't just thinking about one person all of the time. He is always thinking about everyone. I thought that was really, really well said. That God cares about the world and he's looking for a church that cares about the world. And so we've been spending these two weeks, last week and this Sunday, talking about the fact that God is a sending God, that he is a missionary 
God. And, and we started last week by just kind of zeroing in on one key truth, that if we want to make an impact for God in Marion, in Grant County, and around the world, it all begins by the church having a fresh encounter with God. There is no impact for God without an encounter with God. And so we prayed last week and focused our hearts last week on having a fresh encounter with God. I want to finish this two-part series today by talking to you about uh, this passage in Isaiah, this picture that the Lord gave me back in January during 21 days of prayer. As I shared last week, as I was praying during 21 days of prayer, I was walking through the sanctuary as I often do, uh, not just during 21 days of prayer, but all year long. And, but in, in 21 days of prayer, I made more laps because I just spend more time in here praying during 21 days of prayer. And as I was praying in 21 days of prayer in January, I just felt the Lord impressing on my heart a picture and it's really a picture that didn't just come from my own ideas or my own thoughts. It was a, a picture that's really rooted in scripture. It's rooted in the passage that was read for you earlier by Pastor Jared. This, this story in Isaiah chapter 6 where Isaiah has a fresh encounter with God. And from this fresh encounter with God, God does a work in Isaiah and then God does a work through Isaiah. And as I went through 21 days of prayer, I just kept returning to this picture over and over and over again. And I kept praying my way through this passage as I prayed for our church. And I really felt like the Lord was impressing on my heart a picture of, of kind of what we needed to be focused on, what we needed to be about as a congregation in the upcoming years if we wanted to really be faithful to what God is asking of us in this day and in this time. These aren't new ideas, they're firmly rooted in scripture and they are the truth of God's word for his people in all times and all places. But I think that what God was asking of me in those prayer times and what I think he's asking of us as a church is that we would return to the ancient ways. That in a day and time where everything is shifting and changing and we're coming up with new things that we've never thought of before, which ought to be a clue how dumb they are, that we've never thought of them before and now all of the sudden we've come up with new ideas that should shape humanity. If we're just thinking of it now, it might not be a solid rock to build on. I'm just saying. We got to return to the ancient ways and ask God, God, what has been true, what is true right now, and what will be true in the future, regardless of how this world shifts and changes and moves, what can we build on that will help us be the church that you've called us to be, and what can we build on that will help us do the things that are in your heart for us to do? And so last week we began to kind of unpack this picture, but I want to kind of dig into Isaiah 6 a little deeper this morning, and I want, to, I want to kind of unfold the picture that I've been praying for since January. 
And I'll begin where we were last week with Isaiah, who had a fresh encounter with God. This is the first thing that I think we must understand as God's people in this day and in this time, that if we want to be faithful, we need to have a fresh encounter with God. We need to seek him above anything else. He can't just be an important thing in our life. He has to be the priority of our lives. We have to forsake all other gods and run only after him. We need a fresh encounter with God. Isaiah chapter six opens with Isaiah experiencing the death of a king. And this is a time in Isaiah's life and in the life of the nation that is full of turmoil. When a king dies in that day, who's gonna be the next king? Where is power gonna transition to? How is the next king gonna rule? Will that next king be godly or ungodly? Will they follow the ways of the Lord or not? Will they lead faithfully or not? What's gonna happen and so there's all kinds of upheaval and chaos and uncertainty in the political system when a king dies. This obviously has no relevance to us in our world today because everything in our culture is stable and certain and everything is predictable and there's nothing that we're worried about right now. Everything's great, right? No, this has a ton of relevance for us today. Listen, when inflation is increasing, when gas prices are what they are, can we just go to prayer right now? I mean, for the gas prices, right? Like, when we see political division in our country, when we see arguments and divisiveness, when we have tensions and when we see violence ripping our culture apart, in the middle of all of that, what do we need? Do we need more laws? Do we need to print more money? Do we need to have different policies? Perhaps all of those things need to be talked about. But I want to tell you what we need in our culture today. We need what Isaiah experienced. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. That's what happens to Isaiah. And that's what we need today as a church. I'm not asking you to ignore the realities around us. I'm not asking you to turn a blind eye or pretend that nothing's wrong with the world. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that when you look at the world around us and you see all of the upheaval and the violence and the chaos and the uncertainty, all I'm asking you to do is lift up your eyes so you can look to the place where our help comes from. To look to God. That's what Isaiah did. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord and he saw the Lord in all of his holiness. Look at what it says in verse three. It says he was, or actually at the end of verse one, he was sitting on a lofty throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. In other words, Isaiah saw God in all of his glory. He saw the Lord in all of his splendor. He saw the Lord's power and capacity that the Lord was bigger than any earthly king or any earthly government system, that God reigned over it all. 
And that even when there's a transition in earthly government, even when there's all the upheaval going on in the earthly realm, God is still on his throne and he reigns. Nobody's voting him out and nobody's pushing him aside. He will be on his throne. He was on his throne. He is on his throne and he will be on his throne. He is the sovereign God over everything and we need to see him in our day and in our time. In verse three, we see the angels around the throne crying out to God, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come. Listen, the word holy is the only word in scripture that is used three times in succession to describe God. We don't ever have a passage where we hear it said that God is love, love, love. Or God is just, just, just. But we do hear in scripture over and over and over again, God is holy, holy, holy. Some scholars believe that this is the essential characteristic of God. That the reason God is called holy, holy, holy it is because this characteristic is the characteristic that defines everything else about God. So when we talk about God's love, we have to talk about the fact that it is holy love. That when we talk about God's justice, it is holy justice. And when we talk about God's faithfulness, it is holy faithfulness because God at the core of who he is, is holy, holy, holy. We need to see God this way again. I love the fact that in the modern world, particularly in the evangelical church, we've lifted up the fact that God is a loving God, that God wants to be a friend to us. I believe that's true. I believe scripture teaches that. But I think in our efforts to make God friendly and loving, that we have forgotten about the fact that God is holy, holy, holy. That in him, there is no sin, and in him, he cannot stand sin. We have made God so friendly that we can now not imagine a God who would not allow us to do whatever we want to do to make us happy. Because we think in our humanity that the goal of our lives is to be happy. But according to God, his desire for us is that we would become holy as he is holy. And if you mess up the direction of life, you won't get where you're supposed to go. I fear that that is what's happening in the church today. That we have decided in the church that we are going to remake God into our image so that we can have whatever it is we want. But I want to just remind you, we do not and will not ever sit on the throne. God is on the throne and he is holy, holy, holy. And we need to see him for who he is and for where he is and recognize his sovereign leadership over our lives. 
Isaiah sees this holy God and what happens next is he sees himself. And we need to see ourselves again in light of who God is. Instead of starting with ourselves and remaking God in an image that's palatable to us, we need to start with God and see him for who he is and then look at ourselves and ask God to search us and see if there would be any wicked way in us so that he could then lead us in the way everlasting, Psalms 139. This is what God asks of his people, that we would have a clear vision of who he is, and then we would see ourselves, and we would ask God to do a work in us to make us more like him. This brings me to the second reality of this picture that I've been praying for, not just that we would have a fresh encounter, but that this fresh encounter would lead to a fresh wave of holiness in the church today. That we would see God so clearly that the eyes of our hearts would be open and we would know him better. And in knowing him, we would realize that whatever his standard of holiness is, we are not there. That there is a gap between him and us. And like Isaiah, we would cry out, I'm doomed. I'm not holy and I've seen a holy God. I'm in trouble. I would dare say that there are people in the church today in North America who have never had an experience of seeing God in that way that it literally humbles them to cause them to beg God to do something for them that they cannot do for themselves. And we need to see that again. We need to be so overwhelmed with the holiness and the majesty and the glory and the weight of God's character that we would fall on our faces before God and say, God, we are doomed. If you do not pour out your grace on us, we are doomed. And I think we've lost this in the church because we love a friendly God. But what if this friendly God was also holy? And he demanded holiness from his people. And what if we really caught a vision of that and fell on our faces before God? I think we would see a fresh wave of holiness that needs to sweep across the church begin to happen. Listen, we cannot effectively witness to a world that is increasing in its ungodliness and its secular living unless we are a people who are centered on God and becoming more and more like him. God doesn't want to come back for a blemished bride that's full of sin and ungodliness. Jesus wants to return and find a holy, radiant bride church that's become holy like he is holy, right? Which is why scripture teaches without holiness, no one will see the Lord. We need holiness in our lives. I remember growing up as a kid, I grew up in the holiness church. I grew up as a Wesleyan. And I remember thinking that holiness was like for marine Christians. 
Like all of us could be saved and go to heaven, but there were like a few good men, a few good women who would become holy. And that that it really wasn't for all of us. And in fact, God didn't actually expect it from all of us. He just expected it from the really dedicated people. And the rest of us, we're just going to get to heaven. It's going to be great. Mansions and gold streets and feasts and all that stuff. And there'd be like a few people who really, really lived for God. But as I have grown and matured, hopefully in my faith, what I've realized is that God doesn't actually have Christians that aren't marine Christians. He actually isn't interested in nominal Christians. He's actually not interested in people who have one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom of God. That's why Jesus, when he taught his gospel, said, oh, if you want to follow me, you have to die to yourself. You don't get to hold on to your life. That's what it costs you. And we in the evangelical church, particularly in North America, we have so watered down the gospel in an effort to mass produce Christians that we have lost the teaching of Jesus. Jesus isn't interested in you just saying those four spiritual laws are great and let me say this hocus pocus prayer so I can get into heaven. That is not what Jesus taught. Jesus said, you want to follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross and live every single moment of every single day sold out to the name and cause of Jesus. And that only ends in holiness. Holiness isn't optional. It is the way. It is what Jesus invites us into. And we need not just an encounter with God today, but we need a fresh wave of holiness. And we know this to be true. We, we looked at it in our fall series in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 6, 1 says, we got to consider ourselves dead to sin because we don't keep sinning so that God's grace can abound, right? As if we're doing God a favor. We keep sinning so God can keep giving us grace. Paul says, of course not. That's silly. Why would you do that? You died to your old way of living. You gave up living for yourself so that you could live for him. And he talks about what baptism is. It's being buried with Christ, being raised to a whole new way of life. And we could continue on and talk about all of what we see in the book of Romans about how God over and over again through the apostle Paul tells us, you died to that old way of living. You got to count yourselves dead to sin. You got to live for Christ. You got to give yourself fully to him. And we get all the way to chapter eight, verse two, where we're told that we are no longer condemned by this law of sin and death. No, we now have been given this spirit and life through Jesus Christ. This is what we are called to as God's people. Holiness is not just for a few good men and a few good women. Holiness is what God desires for all of his people. And he's inviting us into a life of holiness. Isaiah saw the Lord and then he was sanctified by the Lord. Isaiah said, I'm doomed. I have unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and and I have seen the king. I'm gonna die It's over for me. But what does God do? 
for Isaiah. He doesn't destroy Isaiah. He cleanses him. He takes the, toll, the, the coal from the altar and he goes to Isaiah and he touches him on his lips and he says, see, your guilt is removed and your sins have been forgiven. Isaiah had an encounter with God. He saw the Lord and then God made Isaiah holy. He sanctified him. This is what we need in our lives. Every single one of us to see the Lord again in a fresh new way and then to have him do something in us that we cannot do for ourselves, to actually cleanse us and set us free and make us holy like he is holy. And then after he saw the Lord, after he was sanctified by the Lord, we come to this point that's the most important one for this series that Isaiah was sent by the Lord and we need a fresh mobilization for mission in the church today. Isaiah, I love the way the passage reads because Isaiah sees the Lord with his eyes. He says, I'm, I got unclean lips. God touches his lips and cleanses him. And after he sees the Lord and has his lips cleansed by God, what happens next? His ears are opened. Now he can hear what God is saying. And what is God saying? Who will go for us? Who will be a messenger? Who can we send? I would offer to you that this is the conversation God is always having. God is always, always having this very conversation. Who will go for us? Who will be our messenger? Who can we send? And you know why I think God is always having this conversation? Because I think God in his heart is a missionary God. He is a sending God. This is what he does to redeem humanity and to restore the world. God doesn't just sit up in heaven and say, man, they've messed it all up and it's a shame, but I'm just gonna let him go. No, when God looks at the condition of the world, what does he do? What is his action? He sends. This is how God redeems humanity. This is how God restores the world by being a missionary God, by being a sending God. This is who he is. This is what he does. And so when Isaiah has his ears open, what does he hear God saying? Who will go for us? Who can we send? Who will be our messenger? This is the conversation God is always having. We know this again because when we studied the book of Romans last fall as a church, what we saw was that God is a sending God. Right in Romans chapter five, we, we learn that God actually sends his only son for us. In Romans chapter five, verse six, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and he died for us sinners. Right When we couldn't fix our own lives, when we couldn't get ourselves back on track, the track that God marked out for us, what does God do? He sends. He sends his son to die for us. Right, And, and we read about this in Ephesians chapter two. 
right? Where, where we're told in Ephesians chapter two, verse three, that every single one of us, we used to be dead in our sins and our transgressions, and we were actually uh, subjects of God's anger. God was angry at us. I, I know if you're a parent, you understand this. You can love your kids and still be angry with them. And don't act like you're so holy that that doesn't happen. Because I know. Right? You can love your kids and you can get angry with them. You know why you get angry with them? Because you have a path that you want them to go on. And when they don't go on that path, you can actually see that they're going in a wrong or bad direction. And it makes you angry. It makes you upset because they're not listening to you. They're not going the direction you want them to go. How much more God, our creator, who designed us for a path that would be fulfilling and righteous and holy and perfect and we decide to rebel against him and go a different way how much more do you think God is angry with us Ephesians chapter 2 verse 3 says we were subjects of God's anger but here's what I love about God God in his anger doesn't act in vengeance he doesn't act in wrath he doesn't say you've gone the wrong way I'm going to show you that's not what God does. God, in his anger, sends because he loves. Ephesians chapter two, verse four says that God, who is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. God, in his anger, doesn't act in wrath. He acts in mercy. That's who God is. Which is why Paul writes in Romans 5, 8, God shows his own great love for us in this. While we were still in our sins, Jesus Christ died for us. This is our God ascending God who sees us in our sin and says, I know what you need. You need a savior. And I'll send my own son because that's who I am and that's what I do. And then we as people hear this message of Jesus and we put our faith in Jesus. We, we actually trust him in our hearts and we declare him with our mouths as it says in Romans chapter 10, verses nine and 10. And when we do that, God saves us. He gives us life. He, he redeems us. He makes us right with him and we become his children saved by his grace and his mercy. And in verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the goodness of our God. That God doesn't say, I've got enough of everyone who's believed in me up to this point. So let's just cut it off. No one else gets in. Heaven doesn't sell out. There's always more space. God wants everyone to be saved. But here's what we discover when we really think about this. The God who sent Christ to die for us 
is the God who saves those who believe, but it doesn't end there. God sends those who believe to share the good news. He sends his people out to share the good news so that everyone can be saved. This is, this is our calling as God's people because God, our God, is a sending God. When you, when you read in the book of Romans, you get to verse 13 and following, what you discover there is this wonderful kind of logical sequence. And I want to just read it for you. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. I go back to what I said earlier. I think if you listen carefully for the voice of God, he's gonna be having the same conversation he was having in Isaiah chapter six. Who will go for us? Who, who will be a messenger? Who can we send? Because this world is full of people who don't know Jesus. Everywhere you go, Right? There are places in our world today where people literally are unreached. No one has ever gone there to speak the name of Jesus in their language in a way that they understand. They've never, ever even heard about him. There are people in our world like that. And then in every other place in our world where the name of Jesus has been proclaimed, there are still thousands and millions and even billions of people who have not put their faith in Jesus Christ. And we as God's people, if we believe the good news, which we better, then we know that God wants everyone to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth, which means as a church, we must be a sending church. Because we need people to go everywhere and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. This is what we are called to be about, which is why Jesus, when he called his disciples, said, come follow me and I will send you out. It's why at the end of his time on this earth, before he ascends to the Father, he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And then in the book of Acts, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. What does this tell us about God? God is a sending God. Which means if you're walking with God, then you are sent. And if you're unwilling to be sent... then you might want to rethink about whether you're really walking with God or not. If you hear the voice of God saying, who will go for us and who can we send? And you say, well, there's Tim George, send him. Instead of, here I am, send me. Then we may miss it. And that might be the Lord calling for you right now, Tim, on your phone. So... <clears throat> 
right? If, if we hear the voice of God and we say, well, send that person because I want to stay right where I'm at, then are we really walking in tune with the Lord? When I pray for Lakeview Church, I am praying for us to see the Lord like never before. I know that we've had wonderful times in our history where the Lord's presence has been so rich and so real in this place. And I'm not discrediting those or downplaying those in any way. I honor those and I celebrate those. But I just believe that in our day, we cannot live off of a revelation we got years ago. We need a fresh encounter with God in our day. Because we can't live off a work of sanctification that occurred back there. We need a fresh wave of God's holiness and grace to sweep over our lives, making us who he wants us to be for this day and for this time. And I am praying for God to use this church to send people literally all over the world not just to support those missionaries that we already are supporting on the field. We ought to keep doing that. But I just want to tell you right now, I'm praying for God to raise up people from this body now and into the future that will literally go all over the world so that the gospel of Jesus Christ can spread. And I'm praying for God to raise up people in our church, maybe who aren't called to the foreign mission field, but, but to recognize that every single one of us are called to be everyday missionaries going into our community to share the gospel with 42,000 people in Grant County who have no religious affiliation at all. And if they were to die today, they would spend all of eternity separated from God. And there'll be no sharing that we can do with them then. I'm asking God to be a sending God for this body like never before. This is my prayer for our church. And so I wanna give you just a few next steps as the team is gonna come and they're gonna lead us in a song that really comes right out of Isaiah chapter six. But I wanna just share with you three ways that you can take a next step today based on this message. Because we're a next step community, we really believe that the most important step in your spiritual journey is the next one. So we're just asking you to take the next step. And the first possible next step you might want to take is to go on a short-term mission trip. We've got a mission trip coming up in January of 2023. We're going to go to Irapuato, Mexico, and we've got a church down there that's building a Christian school, and we're going to go down there and partner with that local church, and we're going to do service projects and share the gospel, engage in ministry with them and alongside of them to their community, and we're, we're seeking a partnership that we can build with this church and continue to invest in what they're doing there to make disciples, to transform the community, and to multiply the church. And we've got 11 spots available. One of the spots of the 12 that we have are already taken because we thought we needed a team leader. And Cindy's going to be our team leader. So this is Cindy Birchall and she's leading the team. And right at the end of the service, she's going to be at that round table right back there. And you can go there if you're interested in the trip. 
So if you just say, I don't, I want to know more about it. I'm interested in possibly going. That's your next step. Just when you're done with this service, go right to that spot. Cindy will meet you there and she will give you information and she will be following up with you to see if you're one of the people that needs to go on this trip to share the gospel and do ministry in another part of the world. Secondly, I want to encourage you, if you're not already doing so, to give to the Global Engagement Fund. The reason we have a global engagement fund, and this is money beyond our normal giving that runs the church here, this is money that is used to support organizations and agencies and missionaries literally around the world. It is the, it is the fund that we use to send short-term teams to support long-term missionaries. It's the fund that we use to come alongside of agencies and mission groups so that we can see the gospel go to places where you and I might not ever set foot. But we know the gospel needs to go there and our God is a sending God so we give our money. Now I know that the economy's great and there's lots of extra money in your pockets. I get it, right? I'm kidding, by the way. I know that it's a tight time. So I am not asking you to give in any kind of manipulation or coercion because I don't believe that that's biblical or godly. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we are told never to give out of duty or compulsion. We are called to give cheerfully as we have decided in our heart to give. Because it's not just the gift you give that matters, it's the heart that you give it with. So I'm not coercing you to give today. I'm just simply saying, listen to the voice of God. And if God asks you to give, you should do what he's asking you to do. I don't know any other way to say it. Just do what he asks you to do. And when you know he's asking you, even if it's hard to do it, you can still do it cheerfully. And then third this morning, I believe everybody in this room has a calling from God. I believe every single person has a calling because I believe God created us, as it says in Ephesians 2.10, to be his work of art, his masterpiece. And the way that we put his handiwork on display is by doing the good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. That's what Ephesians 2.10 says, which says to me that everybody has a calling. The question is, what is your calling. And there are some among you who today God is prompting you. Maybe it's been going on for a while, but today it's been clear that God is calling you to be a foreign missionary, to leave here and go somewhere else. Even if you don't know where the somewhere else is, you just believe God's calling you. And if that's you today, I'm going to ask you to do something maybe a little bold, maybe a little courageous, but hey, if you're gonna go halfway around the world stepping out in this kind of gathering, that's a piece of cake, right? And so if you feel called to be a missionary to a foreign land, even if you don't know where that is, I'm gonna ask you to make your way to the altar on this side. Now, there might only be one person. There might be not anybody who will respond today. I understand that. But I believe God wants to make us ascending church. So I'm going to invite you, if you sense God's calling you when we start singing, to come here. If you believe God's calling you to be a missionary, this is your side and you'll come to the altar there. Now, there's another group of people that God may be calling today. And these are people who are being called to be pastors. 
Maybe you've had that calling on your life for a little while. Maybe you've been sensing that. Maybe you've been exploring that. Maybe even taking classes for it. And you sense that God's asking you to be a pastor in the church, to equip God's people for works of service, as it says in Ephesians chapter four. And so if that's you today, I'm asking you to come to the altar on this side. So pastors for the local church, if you're feeling called to that, you make your way to this altar. And if you feel called to be a foreign missionary, you make your way to this altar. Now, if you don't feel called to either one of those, you still have a calling. Because God has called every one of his people to share his gospel and to make disciples. So if you're not called to be a foreign missionary and you're not called to be a pastor, you're called to be an everyday missionary right where you live. This means that whatever your role is in life right now, if you're a school teacher, if you are a trash collector, if you work in the city government, if you are law enforcement, or you work in higher education, or you are a retiree and a full-time spoiler of your grandkids, wherever your role is in life right now, you have a calling inside of that place. God put you there so that you can fulfill your ultimate calling of making disciples. And what we need is a church of people who will step into their everyday life as a missionary sent by a missionary God. Because what we wanna see is people in Grant County and Indiana and the United States of America and even to the ends of the earth coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And that takes everyday missionaries, it takes foreign missionaries, and it takes pastors in local churches to equip God's people for works of service. So if you're called to be a pastor, that's your spot. If you're called to be a missionary in a foreign land, this is your spot. And if you believe God's calling you to be an everyday missionary, when we start singing, all I want you to do is stand. If you don't sense God calling you to any of those things, I just want you to remain seated because this is an opportunity for us to respond to God's call. So Lord, as we sing this song now, Lord, I pray that like Isaiah, you would tune our ears in to hear the conversation you are having. Who will go for us? Who will be our messenger? Who can we send? God, I think you're sending people to be pastors and you're sending people to be foreign missionaries and you're sending all of us to be everyday missionaries in our community right where we live. So would you take these next few moments and would you find a group of people who are saying, here I am, send me.